Good morning. All right, try that one more time. Good morning. There we go. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is April 24th. I can't believe it. April is going to end before I see you all next, right? The scripture today comes from Luke 24. Now, Luke is a little different than the other, than the other uh, books when it comes to what happens on Easter Sunday, wherein Matthew, Mark, and John... Often Jesus appears first to the women. Luke is a little different. The first time Jesus appears to anyone, it's not even in Jerusalem, but on the road to a small town, who we don't even know where it is today. We just make guesstimates. But a small town called Emmaus. So here's Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with them, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. They asked him, or he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is, uh, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Yeah. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they strongly urged him, stay with us, they said, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost done. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked like with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them assembled together. They said and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Blessed is the word. My guess, unless you're really a fan of this one particular character, but you have never heard the name Frank Rocky Feigl. Might be Figel, I'm not sure. Though you may not know that name, you probably would recognize his picture, or at very least the image that has come from his life. His life wasn't an easy one. I mean, he had a a nice support system. He had a loving mother who he lived with his entire life. But he he wasn't lucky in life. He never found love, though he wanted it. He never found a good paying job, though he wanted one. He worked odd jobs all around town. The only regular gig he had was serving as a bartender for one of the local bars. He also wasn't very good looking by most standards. And I know attractiveness, good looking, ugliness, these are all things that we've decided as a culture to say are one way or another. But let's just go by the standard. He was not a good-looking man. He was an odd-looking man with a chin that jotted out in a weird way, with strange, very angular features. And it didn't help that he had had some, well, you can't call it reconstructive surgery or plastic surgery because he never meant to get it. Rather, he gained all the extra strange shapes to his jaw, his face, his nose, his skull, thanks to the many fist fights that he got in. He was quick to anger and often a little inebriated. It had left him with a permanently deformed eye that always squinted, while the other eye was naturally wide open all the time. To be fair, most people who fought Frank, though, ended up worse off than he. He tended to always win. You could find him, usually sitting on his favorite bar stool at the bar that he also tended part-time. He might be asleep after he've had a few drinks, might be smoking his corncob pipe or getting into said fights. But despite his fearsome crag of a face and this strange one-eyed leer that he had and his reputation as a boozer and fighter, Frank was perhaps the most beloved man of the children of Chester. He was always there for them if they needed him. He didn't, they didn't seem to mind his weird stare And he didn't seem to mind that they liked to startle him as he slept on his bar stool. This was like the early 1900s, and there's kids running in the bar, I guess. 
But he didn't mind that the kids would run in and startle him, and he would stand up waving his fist ready for a fight, only to hear some 10-year-old kids laughing as they ran around the corner. He thought it was funny himself. What little extra money he had, he bought treats and trinkets and gave them out freely to the kids. He was always ready to play a game of stickball with them. He was always ready to teach the younger bullied kids how to protect themselves. He was always ready to stand up for them as well. He was a beloved man. Now, Elsie Chrysler, or, yeah, Kreiser Sager grew up in this town. And he took this man, along with some other figures, and he drew upon them, literally drew them, as he created his first popular comic strip called Thimble Theater. Some of you might be starting to draw the pictures, the notes together, and figure out who this guy is. Anyway, he drew upon many characters, notably his boss at the, at the opera house that he worked, where he worked as a projectionist. His boss was a man who loved to eat and would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. There was also the tall, thin woman who always wore her hair in a tight bun, who ran the grocery store and was always looking for a husband. Well, in his comic strips, she finally found the love of her life. It was the man that was based on Frank. He was a little different, though. He was still rough-looking. He was still had a craggy face. But he was also now a valiant and courageous soul, um, sailor who stared out of his one good eye while smoking a corncob pipe and, of course, eating can after can of spinach. That old, tough, craggy, frankly, ugly barkeep is always, will always be memorialized as a man known as Popeye, the sailor man. I love that story. Ever since I, I first encountered it and learned the story behind Popeye. And if you look, you'll find a lot of pictures that say this is what Frank looked like. There's only one known image of him, and it's really hard to see much of anything. Usually it's the picture of when they made the movie in like the 1950s or 60s. But it's a good reminder, because it bucks against something that we, just as a culture, accept. That the good people, the good characters, the heroes are good-looking, and the villains are always ugly. Think about it. I know some of you grew up watching Disney, or at the very least you have kids and you have watched more Disney than you could ever care to think of. You're all like, yeah, okay. Cinderella, beautiful. Evil stepsisters, ugly. Snow White, the queen starts out good looking, ends up as a hag. Ariel and Ursula, Scar and Simba. The villain is always smaller, decrepit, ugly, typically, while the hero is good looking, and if male, very tall. That's the way our society has always portrayed, and it goes well beyond your everyday, you know, movies, like the kids' movies. We see this in adult movies all the time. We see this in the old fairy tales. I love this one podcast where he just 
goes through the ancient tales and fairy tales and whatnot. And so often, it just becomes the joke that obviously this person is royal because they're really good looking. It's the easiest way to tell it's a prince because it looks better than the commoners. We just accept that's true. Even in the real world, think about it. There are people who would never have become president of the United States of America if we had film or cameras at their time. There is no way that John Quincy Adams or uh, James Monroe would have become president. They were just short, wimpy-looking little men. And we saw as, as film and cameras became more and more popular and presidents were more seen before they were elected, our presidents started to get taller and more like the standard of beauty for their day. Of course, you have a Nixon here and there, but still. I can make fun of Nixon. Everyone, that's okay, right? I don't often make political jokes, but I thought that was a fair one. Okay, come on. Kennedy versus Nixon. That was, that was an easy and the good looks. But this isn't anything new for us. This is something so standard to our human nature. To, to look at people that we find attractive and think that they are good or they are better or they are the ones to do the right thing. Case in point, the Bible. There's this guy, his name is Saul. We don't know much about Saul before he is called to be king, except when people see him, they think, wow, he is tall, young, and good-looking. He's got to be a king. That is literally what we're told in the Bible. He's tall and good-looking. And when Samuel goes to call the next king, he's surprised because God is saying no to all of David's older brothers who are also all tall and good-looking. Until finally David, the little kid who's been out with the sheep all day, is called. It's not often we encounter this idea that looks have nothing to do with someone who is good or bad, which is such a duh kind of thing for anybody who stops and thinks for a moment, but it's not necessarily the way that is portrayed. For all of you who have been watching Frozen for more times than you care to count, it's the reason why in the beginning of Frozen, when you find out the one character is not a good guy, it's so surprising, because he's the prince. We allow our expectations based on just how someone looks or how we think they should be to shade our idea of how they should actually be. We allow these expectations to cloud our eyes. It's one of the reasons I love the story of the road to Emmaus. Though I wrote this as the road from Emmaus. Now, there's a picture I have up here, and I, I'm sorry, I know... One of the problems with throwing up images on a, on a screen is it's not as visible to everyone. But if you can see it, there are the two men, uh, Cleopas and the unnamed disciple who's with him, walking on either side. And there's, of course, the guy who we find out is Jesus walking in between them. Now, I don't know if you can all notice or not from where you're standing what hangs at the belt of the two disciples. If you want to, if you're sitting near the back, there's also a screen behind you. It might be a little closer. But they are daggers. Each of the men wears 
a dagger. But Jesus does not. And this goes right into what they're talking about with Jesus. They expected him to be the Messiah, to be the man who came in and created the kingdom of God by retaking David's throne, by sitting there in Jerusalem and making the kingdom this way. They expected a new Jewish state to arise out of the ashes of a burning Roman province. And you can see it right there on their hips. Each of them still carries a blade on them, a weapon, a weapon to help take Jerusalem, a weapon that only Peter drew for a short moment before Jesus told him, put it away. They still carry it on them. Jesus had not been the Messiah they expected. Now, we're told in here that they're not allowed to see who Jesus really is, and it takes them time to realize. But I think half of the realization is that they were expecting that conquering Messiah, and they did not expect to encounter the risen Jesus who wears no weapon upon him. They did not expect a Messiah that would save people in the way that he did, that he would die as a criminal, to die as a rebel. That's what crucifixion was for, the worst of the worst, specifically rebels. But no, he has come back, and they cannot see the Messiah in front of them because it's not the Messiah they were looking for. The ketchup's been moved. But they sit with him. He goes over and he builds upon the way that Jesus always did. He builds upon the scriptures, tying them together to bring together a new image, a new picture of who this Messiah is going to be. And in the act of the breaking of the bread, the same act that when he last ate with them, he broke and said, this is my body. In that act, they saw Christ's broken body come back. And I like to think as they went back, they left their knives at the table. They walked back knowing that this was a different kingdom of God, a different kingdom of heaven than they had ever expected. But the hero of the story isn't the one that everyone thought. And that the hero of the story didn't do what everyone expected him to do. Like Popeye. Popeye is an unexpected hero. If you think about it. Strange man, enormous forearms, a chin that probably prevents him from seeing his toes. And one big eye and one eye squint close. We never know who Jesus is going to be. We never know who the good guy is going to be. We never know who the villain will be in our lives. So, keep your eyes open. Accept each person as you encounter them. Accept each person as the possibility that you are encountering Jesus. So who knows? But don't do it because it might be Jesus. Jesus. 
That's a good rule to live by too. Don't do it because it might be Jesus because that's not why we do it. We do it because that's how Jesus called us to act towards every person we encounter. To invite the traveler on the road to come sit at the table with us. You notice that despite the fact that they had left Jesus' company, that they had left the company of disciples and were walking away, they still held true to the moral teachings that Jesus imparted on them. And they invited him to come sit at the table with them. It might be Jesus. It might just be a hungry guy. You get to choose whether you are the villain or you're the hero. It doesn't matter what you look like. And I praise God for that every day because I need all the help I can get. As I said, I, I really do like the story of, of where Popeye comes from. I think it's a really fun story. But all jokes aside about looks and good and evil, because honestly, we all know it's just standards we create when it comes to good looks and whatnot. I say that as a man who does not consider himself in that. Don't need to tell me otherwise after church. <laughs> I don't need you to pump me up like that. I just, I know who I am. But it is good to remember not to judge people by how they look. Because it's such a natural thing we do to encounter someone and to make assumptions on who they are and what they're like and what they do. It's such a natural thing to do that I feel that every once in a while we have to be reminded it's not really the case. That looks have nothing to do with them. And it's good to remember that just like we project, our, project how we think people look onto how we think they are, it's good to remember that we do the same thing with who Jesus is. That we expect Jesus to look like us, to talk like us, to walk like us, to believe the kind of things that we believe. And that's just not the case. Jesus isn't this or that when it comes to our rules. You can't say Jesus is Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or Green. You can't say Jesus is a leftist or a rightist. You can't say any of that because that's us projecting onto Jesus. Just as they projected onto Jesus that Jesus was a revolutionary, nationalistic, ethnocentric Jewish Messiah, he wasn't. Jesus came for every one of us doesn't matter our race, whether we score a 10 out of 10 in Vogue or a 1. But Jesus came for each of us and that Jesus is who Jesus is. The one who called us to love all unconditionally. The one who called us to extend olive branches when swords are worn on hips the one who called us to be the beloved children of God that we are born to be. So go. Go looking for the unexpected Messiah. Don't be like the disciples on their way to Emmaus, but what they were like as they were coming back from. Amen.